This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition, uh, which is the day that we have the pleasure of entertaining your questions. And I like both podcasts, but, you know, when I'm kind of like answering my own questions, it can be kind of boring. Actually, it can be really boring because you'd be shocked at the number of times when I actually disagree with myself. So the Tuesday podcast is more like a fight with two people that can't box, uh, both being myself. Thursday, I get to entertain other people's questions, which I actually find very, very interesting. So with that, um, not sure how interesting Mary Linkson finds it. We'll see whether or not she's on the call. Are you there? I'm here. Yeah, I find it super interesting, too. We don't want you to fight yourself on What a sigh of relief. Well, you know, that's what lawyers do. They sit there and question themselves and cross-examine themselves and you know i can't tell you the number of times that my wife has said you know i looked out the window in the backyard and you're carrying on this full-blown conversation and there's nobody around so i do that from time to time but that's what lawyers do you you don't like surprises so you like to anticipate every question that you can get which is uh why this is exciting to me because some Mm -hmm. of these questions i can't anticipate I did see a video of you maybe throwing a football with Senator Scott this past week. I did want to ask you about that before we got started. You saw what? I saw a video of you. I think it was with Senator Scott and you were throwing a football to him and he was running. Oh, really? That's Mm -hmm. on video? Yeah, I saw it. I think Tim maybe posted it on Instagram or something like that. It was really cute. Tim looked so happy. You know, I, I first of all, you remember the old days when you actually used to like do things and it didn't wind up on video? You just did them. I thought maybe you would say that. <laughs> I know exactly. Uh, Tim and I went and, and visited with Coach Shane Beamer mm-hmm. down in Columbia and had a fantastic time. What a, And just for all my Clemson friends, I've also been to a, a Clemson practice, had lunch with Dabo. I, I loved every second of that, too. I'd actually never met Shane Beamer in person before. Mm-hmm. Like, talked to him on the podcast, talked to him on the TV show, talked to him on the phone. Never met him in person. So it was great. Loved every second of it. Took us on a fabulous tour. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, aren't we, like, recruiting right now isn't this like a recruiting time period wouldn't you rather be talking to a a really really talented 17 or 18 year old as opposed to two guys in their 50s who who can't well tim actually can play football but we had a great time met spencer rattler the quarterback met a lot of players you know not just not just the names you know but you know his maybe hadn't had a chance to play a whole lot lately um 
I was super impressed. You know, Shane, whenever a player will walk by, brought them, brought them by, knows all their names, which I guess, you know, I mean, I'm sitting there, somebody out there may be thinking, well, of course he knows his players' names. I mean, my grandmother struggled with her grandkids' name. I mean, she called us all by the wrong name at one point or another. So he got all that right. And all the kids, you know, told you what they were majoring in and where they're from. And they just, I don't know. It was great. I remember taking a picture with Spencer Radler. I remember throwing several passes to Tim, but I did not know they were on video. So he's like become Kim Kardashian part two. He's like a social media expert now. I don't know about the Kim Kardashian part, but he is definitely great with sharing information. Uh, well, he and I shared information last night um, uh, as we were watching Dallas's place uh, kicker miss four extra points in a row. But they did win, I think, if I yeah. read it correctly. I, winning's not everything, but... No, no, it pretty much is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they did win. They played really, really well. Um, felt sorry for the guy. You know, you've seen... There are baseball players, um, Steve Sachs, I think. I think it was Sachs and not Knobloch. Whoever I'm wrong about is going to get mad at me, so I'm sorry. (laughs) One of them, fantastic second baseman, went through a little phase where they couldn't throw the ball to first base. Uh, There was a catcher who could not throw the ball back to the pitcher. There are golfers who uh, cannot make, you know, two-foot putts. They call it the yips in golf. They're... People who chip and and can't chip. It's mental. I mean, that guy has one of the biggest legs in the NFL. I mean, he can make 60-yard field goals. It's got to be mental. Um, Mm -hmm. Felt terrible for him. Also felt pretty bad for myself, too, because I just knew that Tampa Bay was going to come back and that those four extra points were going to matter, but I was wrong. Well, I guess we're glad you're wrong on that one. I don't know if I should say that. but I'm very, very glad I'm wrong. So now everybody knows what I did on Monday night. I sat there, <laughs> sat there and, and, you know, watched Dallas and tried to figure out how can you not kick the ball in between these two goalposts and how can you not do it four times in a row? But having said that, it's mental. They're great athletes mm-hmm. who go through these little periods where you go back and look. I think his name may have been Rick Ankill. Uh, I think he was a catcher originally. Just great athlete. He couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher when he was a catcher. It just it gets in your head. So on that happy note, hopefully nobody asked me about the yips or chipping yips or any of that this week. <laughs> yeah, we won't go there now, but we do have a lot of great questions and they're all over the board, like I said. And um, we appreciate you all for sending us your questions and we'll get started with our first question, if that's okay with you, Trey. Sure. Or, or okay. we can continue to talk about athletes who you know can't perform relatively simple task because Mm. no let's go to the questions but you're right it is a mental thing i totally believe that Um, but we'll start with our first question and it's from lynn in our state of south carolina she writes i understand the documents being found but i cannot understand the documents being lost a librarian at a library would be fired if they didn't keep up with who has the books how is it that the national archives is not responsible for missing documents what exactly do they do well, Lynn, I will agree with you partly. It is awfully hard, if not impossible, to understand how classified documents could go missing and no one would notice. Where I part ways a little bit, that does not mean it was the National Archives who dropped the ball. 
these documents could have come from any number of agencies and the archives would not have any way of knowing the documents existed or were ever given to the vice president. Someone knew, uh, could have been the State Department, could have been the Department of Justice, could have been the Department of Defense. I mean, there are scores and scores of entities who have the power to declare something classified. And they're the keeper of that document. Um, I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm not even sure whether the National Archives keeps vice presidential records, but let's assume they do. Let's assume the National Archives is the ultimate repository for presidential and vice presidential records. Mm. If the archives has no idea that the Department of Defense sent some classified documents to the vice president or the president, for that matter, how in the world would the archives know to ask for those documents back? They, they, they got no clue. So someone is responsible. Someone knew. I don't know who it is, but that's you know, one of the legitimate questions that's left out standing is who took the documents to Vice President Biden? When did you take them? Why that particular entity or agency or department never asked for those documents back? And the other part of this, Lynn, is you know classified does not mean there's only one copy. There can be multiple copies of classified documents, but each one should be accounted for and there should be a log and it should be traced so we can determine how these documents, to your question, just went unaccounted for. So I share your question. I just I don't know that it should be directed to the National Archives. If I'm wrong about that, I hope somebody will correct me, but I can certainly see I don't want to pick on the Department of Justice. I mean, pick on any, you know, geospatial, pick on any one of the entities that we have. Department of Defense, they generate a document. It's considered classified. President or vice president wants to take a look at it. It's couriered over. It sits there. It's never couriered back. And it winds up being taken to an office or a house or a garage. Someone needs to give an accounting for it. I just don't know this National Archives. I can tell you this. I served on uh, a couple of different committees, three uh, that, that leaped to mind, which handled classified information, including the House Intelligence Committee, which that's pretty much all they do. And the procedures are exceedingly tight. You can only look at the documents in certain spaces called SCIFs. You can't have your phone in there. You know, I mean, we were having one hearing and... The buzzer went off because someone had, uh, what's that new phone out? Like, like a, is there like an iPhone or not an mm -hmm. iPhone, like a watch, like an Apple watch? Is there something like that in existence? Apple watch. Okay. All right. Well, because they did not leave their Apple watch outside, mm -hmm. the buzzer started going nuts. So they take it very, very seriously, or at least the committees I was on took it very, very seriously. How presidents, vice presidents gain access to classified documents is no doubt different from the way a member of Congress does, but it should not be hard to trace where the documents came from, when and why they were not returned, or why no one checked the material that was being packed up before he left at the end of the term. All of those questions were asked and should be asked by President Trump, and the same questions should be asked, and we should have the same expectation of an answer for Vice President Biden. Well, thank you so much, Trey, and thank you, Lynn, for your question. Our next question is from Corey in Florida. 
He writes, 52% of millennial men live at home and are broke. What is the solution to this problem? Uh, Corey, I would probably divide those two uh, into separate uh, lanes of analysis. Uh, Living at home and being broke are uh, two different things. Um, Mm. You can be living at home and saving money for a house or paying off student loans. You could be, you know, completely solvent. You're just, you know, maybe you're not married. You're not in a relationship. And, you know, you got. You know, like my kids do, a wonderful mom, and you want to postpone leaving, uh, living with your mom for as long as you possibly can. Uh, being broke is also uh, multifactorial. Could be unemployed. You could be underemployed. You could be working, but the debt from school, you know, whether it's undergraduate work, graduate work, could be just debilitating. I'm sure the debt, I mean, debt is debilitating uh, for many, many people. College education is so expensive. The housing market is so expensive. Cars are expensive. There are just a lot of factors. So, you know, if you aren't married, if you're not in a relationship, if you're, you know, 24-hour independence doesn't mean that much to you and your parents are okay with it, I mean, living at home is a pretty good way to save money. You know, rent's expensive. So if you're not building equity, I mean, I sort of left home when I was 17. So I, I'm, I'm not somebody who's in their 30s living at home. Although, you know, if my mom would let me right now, Terry and I might move back in with her. So, I mean, if she would let me, I haven't asked. So I think the answer probably is complicated. The broke part could be tied to education. I mean, college isn't for everyone, but... I think the data shows that those with college degrees make more than those who do not have college degrees. Doesn't mean you have to have one. Doesn't mean you can't make a living without one. But, you know, those are the numbers. I just sit there and think health insurance, student loans, housing, inflation, lots of demands on the money. I'd be curious how many people, how many millennial men that are living at home, you know, that may not be what they want to do. It may just be a financial. I'm not making excuses for them. I just I, I don't know. I I don't probably have enough data. Mm -hmm. It is hard to know. Well, thank you so much for answering that question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Our next question is from Harold in North Carolina. He writes, is there a difference between special counsel, prosecutor, or even special investigator? Well, two of those terms I am very familiar with. Special counsel is a creation of Department of Justice regulation. Um, there's a regulation within the Department of Justice that if there's a conflict with DOJ and or the U.S. attorney's offices, and there are a bunch of them throughout the country, then special counsel is appointed because there. I think the I don't have the regulation in front of me, but I've looked at it a million times, uh, conflict of interest and or in the best interest of justice, um, which can be both a reality issue and a perception issue. DOJ is still the boss of special counsel. It's just trying to create this layer of independence. Maybe it's 
illusory. I don't know. But this layer of independence because the department, obviously the attorney general is appointed by the president. That's true no matter who the president is. Mm-hmm. Um so if the president's under investigation, I mean, I guess the thinking is that people are more likely to accept the outcome if someone, quote, independent. The, but the reality is the independence is a little bit overstated. Bill Barr ultimately got to make the calls on on Robert Mueller. Jeff Sessions, when special counsel was appointed, recused himself, which is why uh, Rod Rosenstein was kind of the you know, point person on that special counsel. Merrick Garland has not recused himself, um, I don't think. So Merrick Garland, being the AG, is still sort of the boss of special counsel. That's who special counsel reports to. Regular prosecutors, um, not to say they're not special, but they're just regular prosecutors. They either work for a state DA office or an attorney general's office at the state level or the U.S. attorney's offices throughout the country, or Maine Justice, the Department of Justice. They do it full-time. They have regular, normal caseloads consistent with their jurisdiction. They're you know, not there because there's a conflict. They're not there because you know something else is up. It's just their job. They're just regular old, line, what we call line prosecutors. Now, we used to have something called independent counsel. So Ken Starr, God rest his soul, was independent counsel. And that, if memory serves me correctly, and again, if I'm wrong, I want somebody to correct me. Independent counsel was a statutory creation, if I'm not mistaken. So it's where three judges can be petitioned or asked to appoint a prosecutor of sorts to look into matters like Whitewater. But that statute lapsed. I think I'm right on this. It lapsed or it was either... The constitutionality of it was questioned, one or the other, or maybe both. Mm-hmm. But they're not around anymore. We don't have independent counsel anymore. We have you know, special counsel, regular line prosecutors, and I am not familiar with the phrase special investigator. Um, so somebody will have to enlighten me when it comes to that. Well, thank you so much. Our last question is from Jenny in South Carolina. She writes, can you tell us if you're having anything in South Carolina for your new book? You know, I should be able to do that. Um, kind of like when people used to ask, you know, what are your kids' names? My, I immediately <laughs> turned to Terry because mm. I, I thought I knew the answer, but I wasn't like, you know, and they all ask, you know, how much did the child weigh? When was the child born? I was usually okay on on the gender. I had that down pat, but beyond that, I usually kind of deferred to Terry on those questions. So I'm going to defer to Mary <laughs> Langston. I mm-hmm. think we're doing something in Greenville. I we know are we're doing a virtual event. I don't. I know we're doing, you know, several media appearances. Um, kind of beyond with. Some of our friends in the next uh, several days talking about different uh, different parts of the book. But in terms of whether or not there are other live events in South Carolina, I'm going to have to defer to you, Mary Langston. Fair enough. We do have something in Greenville on January 26th, if I have that date right. 
at 7 p.m. It's with a local bookstore called Fiction Addiction. They're hosting it. And the event is at the Greenville Theater. Um, all that information is on Trey's website and social media, but reach out if you have any questions. There's also event Trey at the Reagan Library. I think that's January 31st. So I know oh, yeah. you have a big trip going out there. So those yeah, are a couple California, of things. Right? Mm-hmm, a long yeah. flight, but that'll be a great place to do an event. Yeah, I um, I know Tim spoke there not too long ago. I've had some other friends that have spoken there Um yeah, I was actually working on that speech. I don't know why I forgot about it. I was working on that speech over the weekend. <laughs> I'll say this about the book. Um, it is not in any way, shape, or form a political book. You can read that book and have no idea. Well, for the most part, you can read that book and have no idea. It's just not a political book. That said, you can't write a book about making decisions and decide at a couple of different points in life to run for office without having politics come up a little bit. So the decision to run for district attorney, the decision to almost drop out of that race, which is it's fun for me to look back on that, is how close I came to never running for anything, how close I came to dropping out of that race for district attorney or solicitor, then the decision to leave a job I loved and run for Congress. And then I am asked, I'm still asked all the time, why did you leave Congress? And that is covered because that's leaving. That is leaving a job, but it doesn't matter whether it's teaching. It doesn't, whether it's, you know, working at a manufacturing plant, whether it's working at a retail store, we make the decision at some point in life to leave. It just happened that I left Congress. It could have been that I left, you know, something else. So it's not a political book, but for those who have said, why did you leave Congress? Um, obviously that's part of the book because that was a big decision to leave something. Lower your expectations, lower your expectations. If you're looking forward to it, um, <laughs> I think you've heard it, but it's supposed it, it, I wrote the book to help, to help folks because, you know, when to begin something, when to, you know, when to stay. I mean, we've all had jobs that were, you know, maybe didn't like meet all of our expectations. Maybe anticipation was a little bit better than realization, but yet, but yet we stayed though. Yes, I was in politics. Um, but no, the book itself is not about, you can be as far away from me on the political spectrum as, as one can possibly be. And you will not be at all offended uh, by the book because the book is equally applicable no matter what your political orthodoxy is. We all have to make decisions, and I think we all want to make good decisions. So so there, I saved you from having to buy the book. There it is. <laughs> well, we, like I said, we're looking forward to it. And you're right. Decisions are part of every day of our lives. So if we can make good decisions, it'll be a good life. Yeah, I mean, like today, I got to decide whether to go work on my chipping or work on my putting. They're they're <laughs> like decisions abound. Not doing either one, but I wish I were. All right, I hope everybody has a great week. By this time next week, um, the next series of NFL playoff games will have been played, and I'll either be in a state of euphoria or I will need uh, professional help to get me out of the slew of despond after. My beloved Cowboys head to San Francisco. I hope for the best. 
All right, y'all take care. We will see you same time uh, next week. Take care. Thank you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 